Hey everybody and welcome to the Dark Cast. This is DCI number 59 and I'm your host Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I got to talk to Charles Cox of Agency, which is a studio that's making a game called Habitat. It is a completely open-ended sandbox game where you build spacecraft out of junk. Uh, because the the rulers of the world in the far-flung future have decided the best course of action to save Earth is to launch everything in Talver space. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the best possible course of action. Anyway, uh, we had a great conversation talking to Charles. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to find out more information about Habitat, then check out the links in the show notes to this episode on darkstation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter to find out when all of our other interviews are going up, you can follow us at darkstation underscore com. You can, of course, subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes. We're the Darkcast. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And finally, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at podcast at darkstation. Dot com. As always, thank you for listening. Now on with the show. to us uh, about Habitat, uh, but before we get into that, let's uh, let's talk about you. How are you doing? Doing great, Jonathan. Um, uh, happy to be on the show. Really great to meet you both. Um, I am here in Seattle. My uh, team uh, just having finished up uh, putting Habitat, our game, out into Steam Early Access. I'm feeling relieved, excited, terrified. Um, it's a little surreal. Um, just so much has happened this year. Um, from the start of this project to where we are now, it's uh, you know I, I wish I could say that when I add it all up, it totally makes sense and I totally get it. But uh, I, I I'm still kind of shell shocked by by the whole process. It's it's really it's really pretty cool to be out there in the uh, among the world with the new game. I can imagine. How's the uh, how's the reception been getting the the game out there into to people's hands? It's been good, and and we've been fortunate to take early versions of the game to a number of conferences to to get um, sort of the I mean, what's the way to say it? Sort of the ground truth with people, get them to play it, walk them through it, get their impressions, and so on. So we knew we had good stuff. Um, we went to places just recently. We were at RTX in Austin uh, over the July Fourth weekend. Before that, we were at E3. We've been to GDC, PAX East in Boston. Um, and people have loved the game, so we felt pretty confident getting out the door. And what's really, really cool is we're seeing all these screenshots coming up. People are doing video walkthroughs, and the forums are lighting up with suggestions and feedback, which was the whole point of, of going to Early Access in the first place, is getting that whole two-way conversation going. That's the most exciting part. So um, I'm happy. Uh, you know, of course, we're watching the Steam, you know, sellers and what's on the front page. We're all we're all watching it like a hawk just to see, you know, <laughs> what uh, what what happens next. But there's a uh, there's so much work to do. I think we're going to have to get off our butts and and, and really start coding <laughs> to get to the next thing. Stop watching Steam. Turn back. Open up Visual Studio. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, every now and then you have to work. It's a unfortunate side effect to life. <laughs> it's, get, it's it's getting harder too. Um, we we ran our Kickstarter campaign back in uh, April and May. I got I got uh, text messages and telephone calls and Facebook messages from people going, "Dude, Charles, I can't, like, I can't turn away from your Kickstarter page. Like, I'm just watching it. I'm just like watching to see is the number going to go up? Is the number going to go up? Oh, the number went up! Oh, yeah, they're really excited because." Because Kickstarter is so gamified with the little, you know, with the little bar and the little target, and it, it's happening everywhere. So as a game developer, on one hand, it's really great to see the world turn into a bunch of games, and the other hand, I'm like, would you please stop looking at that? We have to get this game done. <laughs> we have to build the product. We're kickstarting. Please stop staring at the numbers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but you got to look at this potato salad Kickstarter. This thing is insane. I don't even understand that. So that how much, how that much potato salad is included with your purchase of Habitat? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's by, like how we I, use your success now. <laughs> 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 
Oh man, I'm not even sure how to do that digitally, but you did give me some. You did give me a good idea for a new type of space junk we should create. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Just a big, just a big thing of potato salad, and like salad a, just and like, floats by. Yeah, it's sort of like a, in, in like a KFC like to go bowl. Oh, that's <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Nasty. <laughs> so, somewhere in some habitat, a dark helmet is yelling, "No one gives me the potato salad." <laughs> Uh, it it really it really has been something. So um, we're uh, we're good. Uh, we just we just doubled our office space here in Seattle, and before it look and before that, you know, gives anybody the impression that we're multimillionaires after day one. I'm talking about going from like a 125 square foot broom closet we were working in as five guys to a 250 square foot broom closet uh, that we're all working in. So, so instead of three to a chair, you're a good one and a half person per chair, right? Absolutely. And, then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and you all take turns. Basically, basically the way it works is the music starts, you all run around, and when it stops, somebody has to sit on somebody's lap. Exactly. Yeah, that's all. Somebody's, <laughs> somebody's the lucky one. They get to sit on top of somebody else. That's right. That's right. And if, and if we're really lucky, they're both engineers and they can do buddy coding. <laughs> just tagging it out with uh, Jimmy Hart standing in the corner that's right or you know they're just saying come on man I could crap a better exception handler <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that you guys uh, there, there's five of you how long have you actually been working on Habitat well uh, I started as just me um, I had this idea this idea for a crazy space game where you made all this stuff out of space junk and went around and blew things up and rescued people and all the things you're going to do in Habitat in February of 2013. Okay. Um, but at that point, uh, I, didn't have, I didn't have anybody on the Habitat team, and I still had a day job, and, and it was really just kind of felt like, uh, it really kind of felt like a pie-in-the-sky vision. But as I started talking with people who I'd worked on um, a few of my earlier titles with I've done some mobile mobile games, mobile and tablet games as as a uh, company. Just on the side, I started saying, "Hey, what if what if we did something crazy? Well, what if we stopped making you know puzzle games and and these things and, and went back to something that was risky and fun and interesting and w for the PC market and um, you know I, I think a lot of people you know where I'm at in Seattle and the folks that I know in the industry a lot of people. Are embracing the PC sort of like gaming renaissance you know there's just so much of it going on I think everybody was ready to do something pretty bold and risky but then I I showed them this game Habitat and they're like well I kind of get it but I don't know and over the, the next few months I kind of had to work on my own to just really flesh out the concept um, a lot of a lot of slideware you know just animating little pieces here and there I wasn't even delving into unity um, I was just trying to explain why would it be fun to do this. I mean, in in my mind, and, and this is how this is how it works. In my mind, I could totally see it. I'm like, oh, but you know, you don't understand. It's going to be great. And like, yeah, sure. Well, convince us. Mm -hmm. And over time, I did. Um, and then came the first prototype, and this was in. I think this was in as we were kind of approaching the end of the summer in 2013, and we got Unity together. I got a group of folks together. And we built this prototype for Habitat, and we built it with six degrees of freedom, and it was this very open-ended simulation-based architecture that we wanted to do, and it just completely fell apart and failed. Oh. It, it, oh, it was a heartbreaker. I mean, we, we looked at what we built and, and back then, and we said, well, I don't know what it is, but I don't want to play it. It was like the potato salad, right? You're know, just like, I don't... How long has that been sitting out there? I don't think. <laughs> when you, you bought know? this, did you check the date? That's right. Is, I mean, I know it's supposed to be kind of green, but is it supposed to be purple? I, you know, that's that's the worry. So we um, we went back to the drawing board, but I knew that if I was going to give 110% to this game and really fix all the problems, I knew I had to make this crazy leap this leap of faith and that I mean right after that failure was when I said yeah well I'm quitting my job and I'm doing this full time because I know there's a great game under here I know it's going to be fantastic I just need to give 110% and I walked away from a 12 year career in AAA games at that time turned in my two weeks notice and uh, started living on what I'd saved and that is when things started to gel <laughs> 
that is when I started building a prototype. That's when I started figuring out what parts were fun. I added the physics. I reduced the game down to sort of like 3D stuff on a 2D plane. All of a sudden, things were banging together, and, and it felt like you were doing something, and people started to get it, and my team started to grow at that time. Very cool. People it's really amazing that. that kind of all that came out of a out of a failure. Uh, most of the time, you, you see people take kind of that leap off of like like a success, like, "Hey, we built something small. Let's take this leap and build something bigger." Uh, oh, you had yeah. so much faith in your concept that you were like, <laughs> "Dude, I really messed this up. Let's go whole hog." That's right. <laughs> well, you know, we we did we we did make some learnings, you know, out of out of the failure. We did. We we said, "Well, we can't do this exactly as it was done." What did we all learn? You know, and the same thing happened when I built mobile games. You know, we, we entered into a market that was difficult. We didn't have a, you know, a, a great reservoir to burn on marketing and all the things we had to do. And and I, I delivered my postmortems from those kind of lessons to actually uh, folks at conferences. I stood up in front of people and said, guess what? I screwed this up and I burnt money and you don't, don't do, do this. That. Exactly. <laughs> I did. I said, there's the five, the five things I wish I knew before I got into mobile game development. And the sixth lesson which I didn't tell them because we were at Casual Connect, which is the mobile game development conference, was, I'm not doing mobile games anymore. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) The sixth lesson is don't make mobile games if you're an indie. My Um, secret is get out of this conference. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Just give me 30 seconds head start and I'm out of here. But uh, changing, you know, changing something fundamental to find the fun is the key and I knew it was in there and I knew that um, that I could do it and so the team grew when I could express A, that I had the vision B, prove the vision was going somewhere with a prototype and C, convinced people that I was putting my money where my mouth is, I mean literally my bank account had no for it anymore, it was a steady because he's burning <laughs> cash. That's how it works. And everybody goes, mm-hmm. wow, that's gutsy. And he's putting everything on the line. I guess, I guess he must believe in it. Shoot. Uh, what we did was, by the time December rolled around, I had I had a, a couple people helping me to put together a prototype. And that was when I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take whatever we got. Whatever it is, the state it's in, we're going to GDC. We're going to San Francisco, and we're going to show it off, and we're going to find people that believe in it. And uh, I put the, I put it down on the calendar. I paid the money for the slot before we even had a game to show. And I said, "That's the date we're working toward." And uh, that's when it happened. You know, we spent uh, we spent between December like three months building a prototype. You know, between twelve and sixteen weeks building a prototype, showed it off, and we got press, we got publisher interest, and that was really kind of when the rocket took off. Very cool. Very mm. cool. I, I imagine that kind of. Um, a lot of this kind of birthing out of uh, a, a bad showing, uh, a failure, as it were, is probably a story that a lot of people can relate to. It's just we don't generally like to talk about those in interviews. We like to talk about the awesome thing that happened that launched us into making a better game, not oh, this the bad thing. In, in the words of Jack Nicholson, that's what you don't talk about at parties. Uh, oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and. And you know, I, I think that one of the things that's kind of cool about the indie game scene is that is that there is a there is this kind of scrappier mentality, right? I mean, hey, look, in twenty years we'll all write we'll all rewrite our autobiographies and we'll eliminate all the nasty bits because that's what it takes to yeah that's what it takes to sell, you know. Uh, but right now we're in a magical time where people are like, hey man, show me behind the curtains. How do you make these games? How can I? I want to give you some feedback. I want this to work. I want that to work this way. That's the cool part about PC game development is that people are willing to kind of have a two-way conversation. Failure is a part of that, and um, so I try to tell my story as honestly and openly as I can, and, and be like, "Hey, uh, I'm a human being, and and I'm building a game that's actually, in a lot of ways, Habitat kind of mirrors that. You know, hey, guess what? Humanity screwed up, and we're really hosed, and uh, I, we hope you can rebuild." Uh, out of the stuff we're sending up there. I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with a gigantic tub of potato salad, but uh, if it's helpful, I hope uh, I hope you make great stuff out of it. Go build a space <laughs> station. Um, it kind of mirrors the indie game development experience, you know, in this kind of in this kind of strange way. And so I'm 
I'm proud of, uh, of kind of what the game represents for us and for the indie, ga- you know, indie game community and, and folks in the PC gaming world. And I, I really hope that, uh, that the, we can build a strong uh, community of fans around it so that we can keep building on it and make it better. Awesome. That's, that's really, really cool. Uh, now, what is, what is Habitat actually about? Can you give us the, uh, the elevator sure. pitch? Yeah, sure. And then the, the more serious in-depth pitch after that? <laughs> no problem. Um, Habitat's a, a game about building space stations out of space junk. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of elements to it that we'll be building, but um, there's a ton of space junk orbiting the Earth of all kinds. And you're going to put together your own spaceship, cobbling together all these pieces, and you're going to strap rockets on it, fly this crazy orbiting city around that's full of junk, and you're going to attack other stations, tear their pieces off, and and uh, add them to your own and, and keep growing and, and expand out. And you're doing all this kind of while maintaining all these, you know, tenuous connections and shaky bits of your habitat and upgrading various pieces so that this junk city of yours with all these crazy laser cannons and rockets and T-Rex heads that shoot fire is flying around trying to, to navigate and, and uh, save the human race. Like, this is, the, this is like the last Starship Earth. And uh, that's that's kind of the concept. Uh, build something that works out of stuff that doesn't. It's kind of MacGyverish. How many uh, like Q-tips and paper clips are you going to be putting together to make lock picks? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and and, and uh, that one magical chemical that they never show you what it is. Like that was the one thing I heard about MacGyver was. They would never show you how to build a bomb because they always omitted one chemical that you needed. They would never show you in the TV exactly how to do it. In Habitat, of course, you know, hey, all bets are off. You know, if, if, you put, <laughs> if you put the gas tank next to the T-Rex head and you turn it on, fire will come out of the mouth and you can use it to set stations on fire like, you know. That's, that's the real world, right? That, that is. Absolutely. That. The fact, I, I, love, I love a version of our world where there are mechanical T-Rex heads floating above the Earth. This is this is a great planet we have. And and in this and in this world, it's the year eleven thousand. So we're in the far future. There's been a number wow. of, a number of exo atmospheric wars. So there's all sorts of crazy stuff floating up there. But then it gets even crazier because on Earth, we create nanotechnology. We think it's going to be a great thing. Tiny machines that do stuff that we want. Except it didn't do the things we wanted. It did the exact opposite. It's eating absolutely everything. And we can't stop it. Uh, so at that point, we're like, crap. Uh, Earth, uh, it's doomed. So here's an idea. Why don't we put booster rockets on absolutely everything we can possibly save and shoot it up into orbit and tell somebody really smart to put it all back together and we'll send up as many people as we can before the Earth is completely turned into gray goo. And uh, and that's and that's how all that stuff got up there. I, I I like that that is uh, you know as we're we're finding out about myself too I I really love like and, and I don't mean this insulting at all but dumb fiction behind stuff and I like that in the year <laughs> yeah. that in the year eleven thousand where we have created our own doom our 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 split second decision to fix this is to go well strap a rocket to it we're going to space. Place <laughs> toast. See you later. <laughs> but you figure you figure one really charismatic individual kind of was able to put that speech together, and you know, imagine like I, I always kind of think about like the, the game XCOM, right, and the reboot and all that. And you never you never see anybody in the council except that one bald guy whose face you can't really see, right? You know, we yeah, are extremely, at you. we are just... extremely impressed by your actions, Commander. And I'm like, you know. I bet you guys just sit around and are like, what are we going to do about these aliens? I don't know. One guy comes in and he's like, send everything to space. And they all sit there and go, oh, yeah, mm, oh, sounds like a really good idea. Somebody get the commander online, you know. <laughs> and I, I think it's the same thing. I, we got to, you know, Habitat's got its IPC, its International Prosperity Council, and they do about as well as, you know, as you imagine a one-world government can. It's like, this is the kind of brilliant idea they came up with. Send everything to space. Oh, good idea. Yep, yep. I, I support that. China abstains. You know all the stuff that. <laughs> so, uh, it is. It, it's true. It's a, it's a silly fiction, and yet, could we see that someday? Sure. Well, you know, I mean, it, uh, what's it called? Uh, um, 
Pixar, Pixar wasn't too far with having Fred Willard send us all into space. Oh, that's so right. I imagine that's, that's you know that's the kind that of charismatic was... I, individual I imagine is at the head of this whole thing. <laughs> like ra- rockets. Yeah, but what about they're not rockets, just rockets up space. We'll figure it out then. <laughs> well, don't argue with me. We don't have the time. The nano machines are coming. That's right. It's Fred. It's Fred. Hey, what happened, Willard? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nano machines, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so, you're, I mean, you're stuck with the job. You're the commander of Habitat, so sure, you know, the council's looking to you to save as many people as possible. Now, you know, I I assume, you know, with the nano machines, we figure, yeah, yeah, we can, we can, you know, have a planet of uh, 10 billion, and 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 we can still be fine. So, can you save 10 billion? Probably not. Um, so you're gonna have to save as many as you can. And there's going to be a lot of pressure, uh, you know, from Earth to send these colonists up. And you need to continue to grow your habitat or habitats in this game. You can have as many as you want. You can break them apart, merge them together to create an uber habitat, or you can so split people, them up and operate People are still coming them. up from the surface while this is going on? Yep. Oh, good Lord. Okay. <laughs> so so they, they just launched... rude. <laughs> So the IPC just launched a whole bunch of junk up into space and are now sending people into space hoping that you can put stuff together fast enough in order to save the people that are being jettisoned it's into outer space. It's an international team of All that right. same group of people that were in the core. <laughs> yeah, Stanley right. yes. just got something built together. You know, I like it. Yeah, we're putting it together there. That's right. Habitat still starring Delroy Lindo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all made of unobtainium. It, we're, oh, we're dude, fine. that that movie. Oh, uh, that movie. If you if you can make the subtitle to this game Core Two this time in outer space, then that that would just be amazing. Core uh, 2, this time it's personal. Yeah. This time it's personal. <laughs> or Core 2, this time we're going the opposite direction. That's right, Core uh, 2. <laughs> oh. oh, that's all, yeah. Oh. Or just the you know. opposite of Core. <laughs> uh, core 2, Electric Boogaloo, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> that's a good side business. I'll spin that up. We'll ship that. <laughs> yeah, finish, finish what you're working on now. Let's get Habitat out and then just... In the future, when it's Habitat 2 time, remember us. Hang on a second. <laughs> hang, on, hang on a second. Alex, you got you got Delroy Lindo's number? No? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to go That's to right. the yellow you got, page. You got time. You got time. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, remember, this is for Habitat 2. We, we've yeah. got plenty of time to do this. I was going to say, I think I have to ship Habitat 1 before Hollywood starts taking my calls. Yes. <laughs> yeah, get that up. So, that, sure. so looking at, looking at, I watched some, uh, some gameplay from GDC. Um, yeah. And the first, the first thing I was reminded of was this old um, Sierra online game called Outpost. Oh, I uh, love Outpost. Okay. I remember that game. I remember that game. The mixture of sort of uh, isometric building and then, uh, and then full motion video sequences whenever they darn well felt like it. Yep. Yeah. Just whenever they decided they wanted to throw one in, that's what you yeah. got. I, I still remember. That, I, uh, yeah. That, that kind of the modularness. And yes. the ability to kind of put things together, and whether you know, like connecting them with tubes, and then but making sure that everything kind of like the the duct tape kind of stayed together where you had it. <laughs> I, and I still I still remember that game. I still remember there was that big spherical contraption which was like the hot labs where they did like virus work and stuff. Yep. And there was the F, there was the FMV because the hot labs could just explode for no reason, and so every once in a while they. Yeah, they just play the FMV of the hot lab exploding. And I'm like, oh, God, no. Why did I ever build those things? Why did I think that was ever a good idea? Why would they put them in the menu? The R&D is lost (laughs) on a whim. Oh, Oh, man. Oh, God. Talk about putting putting a D in R&D. Jeez. Yes. So I remember that game really, really fondly. And in addition to that, one one of the toys I remember as a kid that I really loved, and I don't Maybe I'm the only one that played with these things. They were called Capsella. You know what those are? Nope. Nope. They were, um, I mean, you had, you know, everybody had their building toys, right? Some people had Legos, Connects, Constructs, uh, you know, whatever you use to build stuff. And there was just a million of these 
toys that that competed for the same space, right? I mean, you know, kids. Oh yeah, right? oh absolutely. There's still there was this there was this toy, and I think it was I think it was from Europe, and and that probably explains a lot. But uh, it was called Capsella, and it was actually these spherical plastic. Um, uh, it was like plastic spheres that were transparent, and they all had different mechanisms on the inside. Some of them were 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 like differentials and like you, you you snap the capsules together and the gear pieces would interlock and all of a sudden you could build like tanks and crawlers and like and like little like ships that you could put in your bathtub and you turn them on and they go and I'm like I'm not sure how safe that was in retrospect <laughs> but <laughs> probably again probably explains a lot um, but I still remember this idea of, of all these mechanisms living in these capsules that you would connect up together and I'm like well, what if people could live in those? And then, what if you smash them all together? That could be really interesting. I mean, it just—it just never—it just never quit my mind the idea of constructing and blowing things up and 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 in space. And you know, looking around, I—I I thought, well, outside of a few games, you know, there really isn't a great game experience like that. And I think that's what you know really drove me to create Habitat and all the rest of it. You know, from the story to um, you know the kinds of junk we're building all come from that same that same place. Like uh, fascination with yeah okay I love building things but smashing them together is really fun too. <laughs> I'm a I'm a huge Kerbal Space Program player. I mean that just to give you you know a little bit of context. And that does surprise me. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love I love building rockets. And look, I, and, and I and I also love building rockets that actually work. I I really do, right? I do not just do the crash into stuff thing. But when I got up into orbital construction, I I thought, you know, I'd love a game where this was easier, where where this orbital construction component could be very accessible, very open, very fun, very easy, and lend itself. Um, to what I, I think is called emergent gameplay, but I kind of think of it as combinatorial gameplay, where you don't know what people are going to create. I mean, they just do whatever. And um, I think I think with Habitat, we're on a good track to making that kind of freedom uh, a reality. We just need to continue to build the features that make it a deeper survive, space survival game, um, you know, and, and, and wrap the the combinatorial and emergent aspects in gaming that keeps people engaged and kind of keeps them driving toward a story. So that's the goal uh, as we go on. But we want to make sure that the features are solid. People are grokking it. You know that that they're feeling like they have enough freedom without feeling like you know what the hell am I doing? Uh, and and really dialing in that magical balance. Then we'll wrap the campaign around it. We'll ship version 1.0 on you know PC Mac Linux as well as Xbox One because we are coming to consoles. So that that's one thing and on the website it talks about um Habitat being a strategy game. Yeah. And you don't generally hear I mean we've had like XCOM and a few other games that are you know strategy, but yeah. by and large strategy is not found on consoles. How is this kind of working with a, a controller and sort of that environment as opposed to the more natural seeming PC environment. What we did, um, you know, what we did in GDC time frame, um, we actually, because we were part of the, we're part of the ID at Xbox program, the independent developers for Xbox mm -hmm. One, and when we, when we worked with them, we knew we needed to start thinking about, you know, control schemes and inputs because by and large, good gaming PCs and the Xbox One are, are really on par. They're on parity, so we're not worried about. You know things like oh god we got to be on in order processors now and and this is ridiculous we only have like 500 megabytes of RAM to deal with like that's not the mm -hmm. concern the concern is about the input methodology the concern is about you know playing a, a, a mouse and keyboard genre on a controller that is like the number one issue mm -hmm. and so what we did was we we sort of looked at the action set and said well outside of cursor control because we're never going to get rid of that what is the most intuitive way to take the actions that that you're most interested in very easily? And we built um, we built sort of an action tree system, so that by using quick button presses, you could kind of navigate a tree interface for any particular habitat piece, and and take action on it. And it worked really well. Um, we could show we had the same executable 
uh, running with a gamepad and running with mouse and keyboard, and it was it was intuitive. People got it, and so we know we can do this. Um, when we went to the early access version, however, which is significantly different from GDC, um, we had to we had to decide whether we we're going to keep controller parity or or take a break for a while and just focus on mouse and keyboard. And um, you know, early access is all about PC, Mac, and Linux, and so um, for now we've broken sort of broken the controller uh, input just to focus on PC and uh, Mac and Linux keyboard and mouse input. We'll have to investigate how best to get the feature set the final feature set working on controller, but to prove that we could do it once and show that well gives me a lot of confidence that we'll we'll get it right again. Sure. So what's it been like working with ID at Xbox? Uh, we, we hear a lot of stuff about indie developers and PlayStation and kind of that being a good experience, but huh. so far, I at least I haven't heard a lot of uh, people talking about kind of the, the whole ID at Xbox process. What's like what, what's kind of some of the stuff that you have to to work with there? Well, uh, they've been good to me, and that's good. You, you know, they, yeah, they they've been uh, they've been responsive when I ask questions. You know, uh, they've gotten me hardware in short order. They've given me opportunities to show it at uh, at, at E3, for instance. They uh, they got a, a booth set up, and, and Habitat got to show there, and so they. They're really, you know, I think they're really trying to keep uh, indie's, you know, indie development experience in mind. But I, I also know that as a, as a console, they're taking a different bet to a certain extent than PlayStation is. They have a slightly different strategy, I think, uh, you know, in, in in really showcasing some some more curated titles. I I don't know whether that's going to yield for them a, a great result versus PlayStation or not. And and to a certain extent, it, you know, it, it, it's. That's a big company problem, and that's one of the problems I left behind to uh, <laughs> uh, to work on my own games. I mean, I'm sweating hard enough as it is on Habitat. I, I hope Microsoft strategy pays out, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really pay my bills. <laughs> nice. Uh, would you want it to, to bring the game to other consoles? or? You know, I, I think it, it'd be interesting uh, to explore at this point. I, I, I don't have anything to announce. Uh, it's been great oh, work sure. with ID at Xbox. Um, for me, the, the short-range... The short-range goal, like the only thing I can focus on, unless I put my reading glasses on, is is early access in the next several months. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm interested to see what opportunities are out there. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Good deal. Yeah. So, what's uh, the the game just recently launched on early access? Yeah. Uh, what's been some of the the surprising things? Like, is there a crazy ship that somebody's built that you just never expected to work or what's, <laughs> what's I got what's I got I got some great stuff that came in from because we we went to RTX the Rooster Teeth Expo in Austin over July 4th weekend and we launched the game on July 8th so there was there was practically zero software delta between what was at RTX and what ended up on early access so I got uh, three days of like just straight up watching people play the early access build right in front of me and they built Crazy stuff. People, I, a couple things. Number one, everybody loves the flame throwing T Rex head. That's like yeah. number one on. Oh yeah. List. Once you said that, I was like, I probably should buy this game pretty soon. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, it is pretty cool, and and we're really taking that back as like, okay, people want more of that stuff. Um, and so we're already like, oh my god, dinosaurs in space DLC. You know, hey, can we do something like that? That's crazy. Uh, so um, that's cool. People are really just they're building whatever they can they're like they, the bigger the habitat and the creakier it is and the more that it looks like it's just impossible this damn thing will fly the happier they are I, I read the rock paper shotgun article that came out and, and the, the reviewer talked about you know the first time when you turn on your rockets on this on this crazy contraption you built it's incredible like this thing shouldn't be able to move this thing should not fly but it totally does, and it's like coming out of it's like the USS Enterprise coming out of Stardock that first time, except it's like made of trash, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so it's like instead of everybody, it's like instead of everybody like you know being in nice uniforms, like right. This and uh, work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's working. Um, 
But we've seen uh, people really love using um, using the cruise ships, which are up there. There's there's like actual like uh, you know like Holland America cruise liners and and, and you know, princess cruises, and uh, that you can just pick those up, stick those on. They like to use them as armor. That's what I've seen because they take a lot of hits, and uh, so people will strap those things on, like weapons and and rockets and highly explosive stuff in the middle between two giant cruise liners and then go and try to start trouble with like the automated defense drones and and try to fight with those things and and every time they get shot at they just turn their cruise ship to the enemy and take a bunch of shots <laughs> it makes me it makes me really happy because one of the things that I'm going to keep pushing for is this almost like it's a little bit like pirate ships in space and I'm not and I'm not talking about like you know the pirates in whatever futuristic crazy sci-fi where they have these ships that magically fly as if they were flying through the air, they can turn on a dime and all this crap. Um, I'm talking about like capital ship combat with pirate ships and they have to be constantly repaired and the cannons aren't working and you know, there's people living on the thing and now you know, people are taking over and they're fighting with swords on the deck and like, I'm like pirate ships in space, but made out of junk. Must emphasize the made out of junk thing. <laughs> You know, um, and so when I see people doing things like cobbling together, you know, armor plating out of cruise ships because they they think, oh, this is going to make a great battle system, and it does, and they're having this fight with the defense, you know, the automated defense uh, tower, and they're trading cannon fire off the sides and shooting rockets at each other. I'm like, this this is going to go places. This this is the story that I want to tell, and so it's really. It's really great. I've seen people do some really nutso stuff with the lasers and the prisms that we have as well. People are building multi-headed laser reflection things. Somebody put lasers and prisms on the Ferris wheel. So uh, they turn the Ferris wheel and you got lasers shooting out all the sides. This big spinning death wheel. It's <laughs> it's it's pretty uh it's pretty incredible. Very nice. Very nice. Now <coughs> excuse me. Um, as you mentioned uh, a, a while ago in the interview, uh, you guys finished up a, a Kickstarter uh, not too long ago, earlier this year. Um, how did that go? Uh, the Kickstarter Kickstarter is such a, a crazy experience. Um, you know, before I before I did the the Kickstarter, uh, you know, I, I'd said to myself, you know, I, I was trained as a game developer and. And I, I've been building games for a long time, and I've worked on big platforms and small ones, and and so on. But I never really had a lot of experience. You know, I, I don't even think I participated in a bake sale when I was a kid. You know, like you know, <laughs> you, you, walk, you know, you know, selling chocolate bars for you know, oh, you know, I'm gonna, yeah, hey, I'm running in a, I'm running in a, I don't know what a marathon or a, tri, a five-year-old running a triathlon. I, I don't know if that's actually what happened. Uh, you know, I'm raising money for whatever. I'm going to go run a half a mile and then throw up and fall over. You know, you want to give me a buck or something. And I never did any of that stuff, you know, partially because I really didn't exercise as a kid. I mean, I'm a computer game geek. What do you expect? But uh, Kickstarter took what was a game development experience and, and, and put the whole thing on ice for 30 days. Like, you don't, you do not touch your code for 30 days. You don't have time. You are just emailing people and being on social media and doing Twitch streaming and, and trying as hard as you can, you know, oh, please, please, oh, please, oh, please, sir, you know, like trying to get people to believe in what you're building, and it is more than a full-time job. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, I wasn't ready for that. I, I didn't, I mean, you know, what's the old saying? In Hollywood, nobody knows anything, right? I think in a lot of in games, it's kind of a similar way. But, I mean, I genuinely did not know what the hell I was getting into. <laughs> uh, but I don't regret the experience one bit. I mean, it, it built my initial community, uh, friends and family and people from the gaming communities and people I've met at conferences and people I don't even know jumped in and said, this is my thing. I want this game to exist. Take my money. Uh, and... Uh, it, that was the start of the Habitat family, really, and I, I couldn't have asked for a for a, a better start to this development experience. That's awesome, and if it makes you feel any better, we've talked to plenty of people that felt like they did know what they were doing going into Kickstarter, and promptly <laughs> found out that they didn't. So <laughs> it's it's different for everybody. <laughs> I I. I I understand, uh, you know, I, I know people who have a, bun, a fund, fundraising background, you know, and, 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 and they understand, you know, sort of defined 
defined sources of income, grant writing and government proposals and all these other things, once you once you involve a larger community with smaller sums of money, that starts to become that starts to become closer to random than it does to ordered. And, potato uh, salad. Potato $45, salad. $45,000. Yep. I, and uh, and I will say, that's a lot of potato salad. I, you know, they did they did they finish out? Or are they still raising money? Oh, they're still. It's it's only like five days into it. He's still got like twenty five days to go as of this recording. It's... Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say in seven days, potato salad's gonna gonna surpass what habitat raised in a month. And you know, it. Hey, man, world's world's not fair. Sometimes this is what happens. <laughs> Sometimes shit happens and you have to launch stuff into outer space. Sometimes you just roll with right. it. Pockets. Potato, <laughs> potato, potato salad happens. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm and I'm fine with that. I mean, I think that it's such an interesting thing to watch the sort of the the waves and back eddies of, of, of various internet cultures. You know how it goes when the tide comes in. Sometimes it'll push back and you'll see you'll see waves smash against each other, and that's kind of the way that. that Ripples work, and I think you see that kind of thing happen. Like this is kind of like a a back compression wave against crowdfunding, and you knew it had to happen. We've all been around the internet internet long enough to know that stuff like that's just going to happen. Like I'm I'm on an indie dev forum where someone's talking about you know goat simulator and mountain simulator and rock simulator, and someone has already said, "Hey guys, I'm working on a Steam game simulator. You're oh, yeah. a, you're a Steam game, and your job is to go on sale." And I'm like, oh god. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, everything uh, reaches its logical conclusion, and then we hit, you know, our like the reset button is potato salad, and, and, and we'll see what happens after that. <laughs> there's clearly got to be something because you know there's got to be life after potato salad, doesn't there? Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's got to be something else. <laughs> we'll see what happens. There's, there is life after potato salad. <laughs> At least if it's not. Like yeah, well, I mean, maybe your life is over. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Other people go on and they learn from your mistakes. That's that's right. right. That's right. It's all right. Donate your body to science. Yep. Oh, that was bad potato salad. All right, knock <laughs> one up. We know that's... now. <laughs> and what, what's so amazing? Thanks, you. <clears throat> I, I I really hope potato salad is the reset button because um, there are other people that are trying to fund potato salad on Kickstarter, and they're not getting funded. So, I feel like that's a good thing. This, I've got, <laughs> and, this, and, this, and this I've got to say, this this was the, the, the real reason, you know, for me, I, I'm going into PC gaming, and I'm doing indie games, and all of these other crazy risks I'm taking, I'm taking them on something that, that genuinely hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. It's the riskiest risk you could possibly risk. Uh, but, why wouldn't I? I mean, I, I, I kind of think about that thing with the potato salad. I'm like, so you're the 30th person to make a potato salad Kickstarter after 29 other people, including the original guy, and that's cool with you? You're you're yeah, you're down with that as kind of a as kind of a reason to live, huh? That, that that's cool. <laughs> and I don't think I could do that. I think everybody's got their own thing, and I and I, I respect that and much love, but I, I didn't yeah. get into games this, to you know, do the same guy... thing. That guy got lucky to yeah. think that you're going to be. Oh man, everybody's into buying this potato salad. I'm I'm the next one up. I mean, you know, we had a, there was a, a with um uh, threes and ten. Uh, what is it? Twenty forty eight. And the clones of that. It's like you just you kind of see life broken down into pieces. And when those pieces make potato salad, and somebody goes, "Oh, I'm the next name in potato salad after this guy," <laughs> you, you kind of have to question like where. Kickstarter gets its sloppy seconds or, you know, like, crazy 23rds. <laughs> I'm seriously, I, I, I always sit there thinking there's just the guy. There's always the guy behind this. Like, it's some it's some conglomerate, you know, it's, and there's some J.J. Jameson, and he's like, he's got his cigar, and he goes, oh, I hear potato salad's really hot this year. Also, give me pictures of the Spider-Man, you know? It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, uh, and I'm like, What's well, all that's... this potato salad talk about? <laughs> I, can't, I can't get it. Everybody's talking about potato salad. Go get me My some wife's potato, potato salad sucks. What's going on? <laughs> My wife won't shut up about potato salad. I, I need to understand what's going on. Get me a team on that. I need four quarts oh. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need four, I need four quarts. Oh, oh, God. Um, 
and and that was one of the things like you know I, I I guess I can chase trends I guess I can chase the money that just seems that just seems wrong to me yeah people are gonna say what the hell is Habitat why doesn't it, why doesn't it look like games that I already know and I'm like because that's not the point yeah. <laughs> you know it's the, it's the same thing like you know I, I'm I'm making heavy use of physics you know in Habitat and and there people are sitting there going well that's gonna make multiplayer hell to pay you're not supposed to use physics for anything except crates that fly around when things explode and I'm like well I don't I don't care I'm gonna misuse this any way I want to is it fun great I succeeded and and I, and, I, and I am taking a bet, and I'm kind of doubling down on that bet with Habitat, and it looks like, from what we can tell, we're finding a, a cadre of people who are geeky about it, and we're just going to keep going. And, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, what's that from Heat? What do you, you see me knocking over liquor stores with Born to Lose tattooed on my forehead? Because I don't have that, but uh, I feel like, <laughs> if I feel like if I have to go down in flames, you know, Habitat would be a, a great thing to, to do that over. But I think it's going to be all right. Yeah, go down doing something you love, and and it doesn't sound like you're going down anytime soon. So that's at no. least for the good of the planet and the the people <laughs> who are flying above us with rockets. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We can all learn something from Habitat. So so please help me get this game out the door. <laughs> it's been it's been a heck of an experience so far, and I will say it is decidedly different than big company life. Uh, I know when I got out of uh, my job in September and started doing this thing. Um, I was just by myself, like I told you, you know, in a small office that I got, and we'd move into a small apartment. I went to work in this office with bare white walls, and I just sat at the wall, and I'm like, "Hello, how are you?" You know, because I was just not used to. <laughs> I was just not used to being on my own. I always had teams. I always had people to talk to. I had, to, I think, I had a detox for at least a month or two, you know, just to get used to what it meant to. You could do anything you want. What the hell does that mean? You know, it was, uh, it was trauma. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm through it, and I'm glad there's something good that comes out of it. That um, it is, it is so different than anything I've ever done in my entire life. That's that's awesome. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a story that's still in progress. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But most of them are so. <laughs> well, well, I mean, unless the potato salad gets you, yeah, your story is. Still- <laughs> <laughs> It's just, Indeed. It's like one of those, like one of those logic puzzles, you know? A dead man sits in an alley. All that's near him is a bunch of potato salad. <laughs> what happened here? He ate $45,000 worth of potato that's salad. Right. And he or, died. He ate the wrong man's potato salad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you do? I want to attack the gazebo. Let's move on from here. Right. <laughs> attack the gazebo. Yeah. Oh, that still reminds me of a buddy of mine. You ever play the old Shadowrun uh, paper and uh, pen RPG? Absolutely. Yeah, there was someone who always wanted to have sex with the Renraku Arcology. Like, that was the action they decided <laughs> to take every turn. You know, and the, it was up to the GM to be like, you cannot have sex with the Renraku Arcology. Come on, man, really? <laughs> exactly. Would you like to pick another action? He's like, he's like, no, that's cool, I'll wait. <laughs> Just let me know when she's ready. It's okay. I got time. I got time. I'll try. I'll try again next turn. All the other guys can go. I'll. I'll just. I'll just chill out here. Uh, Never no. get in between a man and his arcology. It's just... <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't me as the GM. Thankfully, I. I, I broke. I broke very little of that nonsense. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, do you have a? Uh... Do you have anything else to ask? No, I think we're we're definitely good to hit our end game here. All right, uh, <laughs> take it away. Ah, my dog's got something to ask. Apparently. Oh, oh. Well, we should probably let him. All right. Put his two cents in. We're good. You do you want you don't want any potato salad? It's not good for you. Okay. <laughs> so uh, as as we kind of explained uh, right in the beginning when we started, we like to end with a bit of a questionnaire. Uh, it was sure. inspired by the one James Lipton uses at the end of Inside the Actor Studio. Ah. Um, so we, we've kind of we've taken that we've got a more video game uh, route with it okay. and so the first question is um, who is your favorite video game protagonist mm. if you were a tree what tree would you be yeah. right. yeah. um, a potato you... tree <laughs> <laughs> give me four quarts of potato tree yeah, exactly yeah. Um, I, I, I have a lot of protagonists that I, I, I care about and love very much, but um, 
Mine is a little. Mine's a little odd. Um, you ever played Bionic Commando? Yeah. Yep. You ever play Bionic Commando Rearmed? Yep. Yeah. Joe from that, not Super Joe. I mean, Super Joe's cool and everything, but I'm talking about protagonist regular Joe. Okay. He was a, but you know the guy you the guy you play mm-hmm. in the game. I actually kind of, I actually think that that guy is like my favorite character. I mean, you look. I, I, I love Solid Snake or Big Boss or they're both the same person. You know, you never see them in the same room together, do you? I mean, anyway, uh, I, I love that. And I love all those guys. But I mean, as far as protagonists go, whoever wrote the lines for Joe in Bionic Commander Rearmed, they just they just gave me a character that I'm like, I, I like this guy. He's awesome. He he doesn't take any crap from anybody, but uh, but he's got the right emotional qualities, the emotional depth. He doesn't make me cry or anything. But I'm like, I like this guy. I want to be this guy. And that was a recent thing for me, but he just, I don't know, he had a sense of place. It's like he knew he was in a video game and he was totally cool with it. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, flipping, flipping that coin, who's your favorite antagonist? Oh, jeez, who's my favorite antagonist? Um, <laughs> I think that uh, for a boss, I mean, I, I, could easy, I could easily say Bionic Commando Hitler, but no, that's not true. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I think there's, I think there's just, it make too much hay out of, oh, I like BJ Blazkowicz too from Wolfenstein 3D actually. But anyway, uh, as an antagonist, geez, what, what, what villain really did it for me? It's like, it's like Revolver Ocelot or something, you know? Okay. He's not, he's not the main bad guy, right? I think about like, you know. Snake, you know, Liquid Snake is such just like a oh my god, Snake. And I'm like, dude, shut up. <laughs> you know, Revolver Ocelot, he gets to he gets to be like at the end, he's like, yes, I believe those are good qualities, Mr. President. I'm like, okay, this guy's awesome. <laughs> he's cool. He's got the cold action army. He's, he's sweet. Use it on the whole thing. That's right. He was in on the whole thing. He didn't yeah. care that he got his arm chopped off. He's like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's he, he was great. He wasn't whiny. Liquid Snake was so whiny about it. <laughs> yes. Dude, dude, you know, just, just, just somebody please shoot his hind chopper down. Are we done? Uh, but Ocelot, I'm like, I'm like, now there's a bad guy. There's a bad guy for you. He's running everything behind the scenes. He's and he's, cool. he's a survivor. He gets through oh, it. Exactly. That's that's the best part. Is like the guy. It's like the villains who survive. You know, it's like at the end of the thing, uh, you know, the stinger at the end of the movies where it's like the guy's buried in all the rubble and then like one eye opens up. And I'm like, oh, he's going to come back. Those are my favorite. <laughs> yes. <Indeed>. Yes. <laughs> we take a, uh, with the third question, we take a brief interlude uh, into something a little bit more serious. Um, what's your least favorite trope or like theme in video games today? Oh man, least favorite trope in video games. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that I can go with this, and um, none of them are good or happy. And I feel like some of this I answered in in a blog post I wrote years ago called "Why I'll Never Make Another First Person Shooter." Um, you know, I, I got, I get, I think, sick and tired of. Yeah, I don't want to get too serious here, but I get sick and tired of a lot of the tropes that first-person shooters bring to us. Some of them are in the game, you know, constantly shoot waves and waves of people spawning out of monster closets until you cross some magical line and then they suddenly disappear. I hate that. But I kind of also hate the trope that first-person shooters bring to us on so many other levels, you know? Where where are the female characters? Why is it that I'm just constantly shooting people that America des- designates as terrorists all the time? Why don't I get to see anything from anybody else's perspective? And why is it that those uh, game studios constantly overwork, underpay, and lay off their staff and destroy entire careers of people who are just trying to make fun products? Um, yeah, um, I feel like sometimes that genre's got a lot to answer for. And I don't know if that'll make me many friends or not, but I've been working in the industry so long that, that I don't I don't give a crap anymore. <laughs> I just I just you know, it's kinda like, you know, I think it was was it maybe Tycho Penny Arcade was talking about, you know, we're watching we're watching this ice age, you know, change with indie games, whole giant icebergs are falling down and the industry is shifting underneath us. I think that I think that a lot of the tropes you find in, in, in um, you know, just the simple, just the shooters, just the big budget stuff, it's, 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 it's time to take a fresh look at a lot of that stuff. And uh, I hope Absolutely. That we, it's it's I looked hope like that, that, especially from the uh, 
the indie point of view for a while where they're just taking so many good chances and and just showing that different things can work and it, it's almost it's both sad and a little funny to watch kind of the triple a space try to respond by just doubling down on the same thing over and over <laughs> yeah. and and i in some ways i don't blame them i mean you think about ea and battlefield and the fact that like for the first time in history a publicly held video game company got called to task by the securities and exchange commission because your game sucks like, the shareholders are like, yeah, you told us Battlefield 4 was going to rock. It most definitively did not. And we're suing you with the federal government's help. I'm like, holy crap, do I not want to be a publicly held game company? Exactly. We're at almost a year later. They're still trying to fix it. And then they're also trying to push out another, like, almost Battlefield mod out on everybody. I know. So I know. And I... It's real crazy. Like, you kind of look at that stuff, and then you, you can understand why people get upset at these things because it's just. It's nuts, and it, it seems so tone deaf sometimes. And it is tone deaf, and it's just it's a it's a response to the fact that risk just isn't tolerated at high levels of this business. And a lot of that comes down to trying to sell to a very broad audience. It's one of the reasons I got out of mobile. You want money? You need your game to be played by 30 million people every every millisecond, you know? And and one and one angstrom you know worth of, of energy will be spent on buying stuff, and it's like, you try to make something that broad. It's the the only thing it's going to look like is a couple of circles and squares that slide on top of other circles and squares, because that's the only thing that that everyone understands. And I'm sitting here going, I think that's kind of the AAA problem is you want to sell to too broad of a market, and the only thing you can sell them is the same sludge you sold them over and over again. So for me, I mean, I get the entire world in terms of a fan base, but if I get the people that believe in what we're doing, that'll be enough to keep the studio open, and that's all I'm trying to do. That's it. That's a, that is a very noble goal, sir. And I appreciate it. Thank very you. noble goal. Uh, question number four. Um, yeah. We don't... We don't like to uh, to personalize these questions any more than we have to, so we kind of ask oh. question number four of everybody. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite piece of space junk in Habitat? <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna recuse the T-Rex head. Clearly, we've already talked that to death. Um, I think that my favorite piece of space junk um, that I that I've seen so far it's. You know, it's not as silly and it's not as funny as the others, but it's the one that really is kind of a game changer. It's the matter accelerator. It's a railgun. It's got two big fangs, and anything between the two fangs gets shot out at high speed. And the coolest part about it is it shoots absolutely anything. That means it can shoot... Uh, you can shoot a T-Rex head that's shooting fire itself. Yep. Yep. Okay. You can put a dr- you can attach a drill to a rocket, turn the drill on, shoot the thing out of the matter accelerator. You can put a tank behind the matter accelerator, have it fire its tank shells through the matter accelerator, and they get accelerated to high speed. Or you can just straight up ram the matter accelerator into another habitat and shoot that habitat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'm I like the, the so on are so, so endless. They're just so endless, and I'm like. That is the direction. That is that is what we need to look at when it comes to this game. Like more stuff that does stuff like that is is that's what I want. So when when the matter accelerator came up and we started playing with it, I, like my eyes opened. I was like, this is why I did this right there. That's that's awesome. I hope everybody plays with the matter accelerator. It's a yeah, lot. Yeah, that's that, that's one of those weapons in a game where it's you know it's like the bayonet chainsaw and. Uh, Gears of War, where that's the one thing that you want to use. Yep. I think the key to success is just filling your game with the one thing that you want to use. <laughs> I, I remember, actually, I was working for Microsoft Game Studios back in, like, I don't know, it was, like, maybe 04, 05, and I went to North Carolina to do some work for Epic, and Cliffy B was there. And this was before Gears of War or anything, and he was walking to, he was, we were walking, you know, to the, to the studio, and he's like, he's like, you know, I got this idea it's like a, it's like a, it's like a assault rifle, but it's got like a chainsaw underneath it. And everybody was like, I don't know. And I'm like, looking back at it, I'm like, this dude was thinking about the rifle chainsaw thing for like years. <laughs> and 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 I envy him because because you know that's kind of like the matter accelerator for me. But I had to be shown that he he knew what the core of his game was before he ever saw it put into production. And I'm like, okay, 
Okay, this guy, this guy's a master. So I, I want to see what Boss Key Studios does. No disrespect to Cliff. I know he wants to do another first-person shooter. You know, I, that that's that's cool. Um, but the guy, the guy got his finger on the pulse of something. So he's he's a good he's a good guy to follow around. Absolutely. Yep. Next question. Yeah. Um, you're living the dream. You have your own game going. It's stressful. It's hard. But it's clearly a dream. You're clearly pushing forward on it. Um, if you had the the opportunity to live a different dream, um, is there anything else you'd like to try? Uh, yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, God, I've wanted to do everything. I mean, from pilot to secret agent to astronaut to sailboat, you know, bum in the Caribbean to all these things. Um, I, I've had really good fortune to to be in an industry that that you know paid well for. For the time I was in it, and I got to experiment with a lot of stuff. I got to I I, I got to sail around and, and you know be on boats, and I got to take flying lessons, and I got to skydive. I'm never doing that again, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if I had to live a completely different life, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I would. You know, I, I feel like that maybe implies a little bit of regret, and 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 in fact, and in fact, I remember saying when I got into the games business. That I think that part of being in the games business is sort of hedging your bet, where if you don't like your life or, or what you've done, you can at least contribute to a narrative that 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 is a bit of a fantasy for who you are. It's, it's like any creative business, you know, uh, writing books about people you wish you were, or, or or lives you wish you had, or or making games or writing music about it. And I'm not sure that I'd ever really want to give up the creative way of being because it allows me so much flexibility um i hope that i made the right choice <laughs> i really do um i i, I still want to be a, i still want to write i really want to write books and uh i know that's that's probably even a harder industry my my wife is a romance novel writer and she's she's going through the pains and, and tribulations of being an independent writer who's who's trying to survive in a newly digital world for books um so i don't I, in a lot of ways i don't envy her that if maybe, if maybe I took the writer's lifestyle, it feels close enough, you know, to my to my spirit without uh, without being totally the same thing. But I feel like, not to get too spiritual or weird, I feel like I would have ended up Sorry, here. Sorry, that's anyway. coming up. Don't worry about it. I feel I feel like I feel like I would have ended up here anyway, no matter what I chose. That's cool. It's a nice way to look at things. Yeah. Right. Next question. Okay. Have you ever seen... This is not the question. This is a build-up to the question. Have you ever <laughs> seen Escape from L.A.? Uh, actually... Snake Plissken, John Carpenter movie. Kurt yeah, but isn't, wasn't Escape from New York the first one? Escape from New York was the first one with Isaac Hayes. Escape yeah. from L.A. was a, a an interesting second take. Yeah, I think I saw the first one, but not the second one. So okay. maybe this would not be so easy, but... That's all right. No, no, no. Well, I'll get to it. I just kind of like to test the waters first to see how much I have to explain here. Okay. Um, at, at the end of the second movie, not to spoil anything, but Snake Plissken comes in contact, comes into to control of a, of a remote um, that operates a group of satellites that are over the, the planet. And these, these satellites basically let out a huge EMP pulse and send the planet back to the Dark Ages. <laughs> um, you get a note that says this is going down tomorrow. What oh, okay. game do you play tonight? Oh, <laughs> oh man! God, I wish I could make it like a. God, I wish I could make it like such a meaningful answer. I mean, the first thing is the first thing. I, I just think I'm like, man, it was a crappy game, but I really want to play Arkham uh, Arkham City again. You know, I, I like. I just finished Arkham that Asylum. That's not a again. bad answer. I want to play Arkham City again, but I, I can't explain to you why. I'm just like, I can't. You know, Brian, yeah, Brian can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I spent way too many hours playing that game over a long I played, period of time. I played, I, played the crap, I played the crap out of it. But like, as soon as I, as soon as I answered it, I'm like, why did I say Arkham City? You know, I, I think that I think that whatever it was, I'd actually want to play a co-op game with my friends. I think I want to find something. It'd be fun to play with my friends. We could laugh. We could have a good time. Uh, you know, one last time before before it was taken away. It could be it could be Gears of War. It could be Borderlands 2. It could be Minecraft. It could be anything that let us laugh and 
and have fun and, and be together because um, there's something really special about that. I don't think I'd want it to be an alone experience. Awesome. Final question. Um, at the end of our live... Uh, life, live. <laughs> at the end of our live, when we come to um, the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom... And when the potato Toad, salad has been all... Potato eaten. salad's there. It's gone bad. <laughs> um, Toad offers you... No. Toad is there with the book of your deeds. Um, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you inside? Hmm. Well, I sure hope I can pick a different character than Toad for Super Mario Bros. 2. Uh, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, are you it? This uh, is like the best of the Toads. It's not you. It's just this is the guy that they put at the gate to make sure that no, no, no stragglers get in. <laughs> Oh, okay, well then nothing personal, dude. Um, <laughs> sorry. He's like, it's cool, I get it all the time. Alright, alright. Uh, and, and, and what would I like him to say to me with the book of my deeds? Yeah, mm -hmm. just kind of looking over you right before he lets you in. I mean, you're getting it. I feel like everybody wants to know they did alright. And I feel like I want to do more than alright. And I think that and I think I'd like to see or hear from him that um, he'll say, don't worry, he says. People will remember. They'll remember. And it could be about video games I made or books I wrote. Talks I gave something I don't know you know time I stripped naked and ran through the stadium I don't know but bowls of potato salad eaten bowls of potato exactly I, I I took a yeah exactly lathered all up in potato salad and ran across the stadium you took that uh, farther than expected but we'll go with it <laughs> <laughs> all the way run forest run um but they but then he says don't worry people will remember that works That's for me. It. That works for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, look. I mean, as long as long as as long as the the, the sentence that comes after that is now now enjoy your private room in hell. Like as long as that's what <laughs> he says afterwards. Here's your pineapple. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, the boiling lakes on room one and the fire pits on room two, and you know, um, then I'm I'm okay with that um, because I don't know any I don't know anything about the life after this one, but I I do know that there are other people. Who are coming later? I do know that I care about leaving something that matters, and for someone who has the omniscient knowledge, and I, I assume that's Toad, but maybe I'm asking too much. Uh, for him to say that uh, it's it's going to turn out that you made a, a dent in the universe, even a small one, then uh, and that's good news. That's great news. I like it. Thanks. You passed. You did it. Nah, I don't get flung off the bridge. Ah! <laughs> you answered all the questions to the best of your ability, at least as far as I know. Uh, you're good. Ah, thanks, James Lipton. Here we go. <laughs> Popazow. Po yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this yes. one's only for the haters. <laughs> well, Jonathan, Charles, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us about habitat and potato salad and all manner of other things uh if you could send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more about your game absolutely um you can go find out more about habitat on steam we're on early access right now for pc mac and linux so just search steam for habitat or go to habitat's official website at join the 509th.com and you can find everything you need to know there and we would love to have you as part of our community all right, thank you once again, and good luck finishing up the game. Hope it goes great. Jonathan Bryant, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really great talking to you.